Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Anne, for praying. It is an incredible opportunity and privilege that we have to pray for, for brothers and sisters in the Lord across literally the world. Um, and so I encourage you to continue praying for them as God brings them to your mind. If you want to know more about them, uh, please come talk to a member of the mission team. Come talk to one of the pastors. Uh, there are missionary uh, update uh, packets that are out there, usually underneath the TV in the narthex. Pick up one of those and... and um, learn more about the people whom we partner with to share the gospel across this world. And we're going to be bringing them to you more and more throughout the course of the next several months and helping to introduce to you the people whom we partner with if you're new here or if you just don't know their faces or don't know their names. Um, it is great to be with you. We're going to open up to Acts chapter 11 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to get up and get one. There's uh, some at the back of the auditorium on the tables. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want to take that home, that is is our gift to you. Kids, if you have your sermon notes, okay, a couple, all right. If you have your sermon notes, awesome. If you don't, if you have your parents' permission, you may also go get a, uh, a sermon note from the back. Um, we'd love to have you engage with the teaching this morning through picture, through um, all sorts of things what we read on those. I absolutely love reading them each week. Um, we're going to be redesigning those in the next few months here, and so uh, you'll be looking for that. And finally, uh, well, two things. Uh, two, two things. Uh, first, this week is my understanding that Don and Faye are celebrating 55 years of marriage. Is that correct? Yes. <clears throat> That's in your bulletin because we, we take things like that really seriously. 55 years is just a testimony to God's grace and God's goodness in their life, just like each day is a testimony to God's grace and goodness in our life. And so, um, so may the Lord bless you with many, 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 many more. Um, uh, now, finally, you guys are the spring break crowd who have not gone south. It's so great to have you here. Would you stand with me as we read from Acts chapter 11 this morning? Acts chapter 11, we're going to do 1 through 18. The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had welcomed God's message also. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, those who stressed circumcision argued with him, saying, You visited uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began to explain to them in an orderly sequence, saying, I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw, in a visionary state, an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it came to me. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. Then I also heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. No, Lord, I said, for nothing common or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call common. Now this happened three times, and then everything was drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. Then the Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers accompanied me, and we went into the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He will speak a message to you that you and all your household will be saved by. 
As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as it had on us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? When they heard this, they became silent. Then they glorified God, saying, So God has granted repentance, resulting in life, even to the Gentiles. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you that we can open your word this morning and that you can teach us through it and through the working of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may you guard our minds and our hearts so that we may focus on these words these words that have brought life to so many throughout the course of human history, God, they can bring life to us today. And in fact, they have brought life to many of us today. God, is it in you that we live and we move and we have our being? Remind us of these great truths this morning. We pray for the sake of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. I want to ask you a question as we start. Have you ever uh, experienced something, made a decision, done an action that later you had to answer for? <laughs> there are a couple of stories that I can think of in my life and in the life of my family. Uh, things that were purchased, things that were said, uh, all sorts of things where you come later and you have a conversation with someone else and they call you to account for what just happened. Uh, Sometimes when people do that, they have a full understanding of what is going on. Sometimes when people do that, they don't. <laughs> Peter is going to run into that in the book of Acts. And even as we read, if you were here last week with us, you might remember some of the story that we studied because it's, it's, it's a repeat plus a little bit from last week. And one of the questions we always want to ask is why is that there and why do we need to know that? And when, when you ask the question, why is this here? You're like, wait a second, didn't we just talk about this whole vision thing that Peter had? He went from, um, he went from that town, I can't remember the name of it, up to Caesarea. And, and then, you know, God told him, don't call things unclean that I call clean. Didn't we talk about that last week? But yet it's in here again. And it's, and it's taken to the next degree. Because if you notice with me, in verse 1, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles had welcomed God's message. So before Peter got back to the region from Caesarea, before he went from Caesarea back down to Jerusalem, word had already spread throughout that entire region. And so when he goes up to Jerusalem, if you'll notice in verse 2, it says, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, those who stressed circumcision argued with him. They, they argued with him or they criticized him. Now, these people, the ones who stress circumcision is the way my translation reads it, they're likely Jewish Christians who were particularly zealous for the law. They were sticklers and, and they said, we don't associate with Gentiles, and therefore, we don't associate with Gentiles. They, they, there's, a, there's a breaking here, and the breaking comes from whether or not you're a Jew and whether or not you are not. Uh, that makes sense. Whether you're a Jew or whether you are not. Um, what is stressed, what they come at Peter with, is that he visited and he ate with Gentiles. In other words, uncircumcised people. Now, these were believers in the Messiah Jesus. These were followers of Jesus who were Jewish. And they, um, 
they believed that to place your faith, or part of placing your faith in the Messiah, was to become Jewish, and then to believe in a Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Um, Jesus, after all, was the Jewish Messiah. Now, depending on the time in history we're talking about, there's three prominent things that make someone go from being a Gentile to becoming a Jew, because you could become a proselyte, someone who went from being a Gentile to taking on the yoke of the commandments. And three of those important, those thi- three of those important things were circumcision, were sacrifices, and ritual immersion. Now, depending on the time and period, like if the temple wasn't there, they couldn't be doing sacrifices, and so that looked different. But one of the big, big ones was circumcision. Um, One commentator, this is Benjamin Espinoza, he says this, he says, the early church first understood that conversion to Christianity entailed being born Jewish or converting to Judaism and being circumcised. So when we read these first two verses and we're like, what is going on here? The hearers in Jerusalem were like, wait, but don't you have to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Yeshua, the Messiah? And this will kind of come to fruition over the next few chapters, particularly Acts 15, where we have this decision made at the Jerusalem church. But remember, the context of Acts Jesus comes in Acts 1-8, and he says, you'll be my witnesses to, to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to the evermost parts of the world. I cannot talk this morning. This is not good for me. Um, to the uttermost parts of the world. But then in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching. The Holy Spirit comes down, and there is a Jewish Pentecost. The church is born. The Holy Spirit moves in a mighty way. Fast forward a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 8, and we have a very similar thing that happens with the Samaritans. We have the Samaritans whom, whom Philip is preaching to and other disciples, and they're sharing the good news of the Messiah with the Samaritans, and Samaritans who are like half Jews and half not Jews, um, because part of their lineage is Jewish and the other half isn't. So you have Samaritans who come to faith in the Messiah. Peter and John come to them, and there's a laying out of hands. The Holy Spirit comes down, and it's a Samaritan Pentecost. Fast forward to last week's teaching, Acts chapter 10, you have a Gentile Pentecost. You see God moving in incredible ways, unlike any of them had really ever seen. You know, um, just absolute power. So much so that when uh, in Acts chapter 8, when Simon the sorcerer, he looks at the power of the Holy Spirit and he says, how can I have, how can I do what what he is doing? How can I have this power? That's how incredibly profound and strong all these events were. So Peter, though, when, when called to account for what had happened, you, circum- or you ate with uncircumcised men, and you visited with them. He defends God's work by sharing truth, and he does this in a very logical and orderly fashion. And this happens in verses um, 4 through 16. God gives him a vision where he tells him to kill and eat unclean animals. And the main purpose of the vision is not to have a, a decision or a referendum on kosher laws for Peter, but rather to teach Peter that Gentiles were not unclean and they were not unworthy of the message of the Messiah. In fact, it was part of God's plan for the message to go to them. And so God prepares Peter so that Peter will go to Caesarea to speak the message of the Messiah, which brings salvation to the household. You notice that in verse 14. 
Peter takes at least six brothers. And I say at least because he could have had more, but he takes at least six brothers with him to Caesarea. And those same six brothers are back down in Jerusalem with Peter. You notice this in verse 12. The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers accompanied me, and we went into the man's house. And so as I was reading that, I was like, why, why six? Why is there the number six? Why does that matter? In Roman law, you needed seven seals to, not, not like the animal seal, like a seal that goes on a piece of paper. Uh, you needed seven seals to authenticate an important document. Similarly true in Egypt, you needed seven witnesses in order to authenticate something. And so when Peter says, there are six brothers here, and I'm the seventh telling you this is what happened. He is saying, you can take this to the bank. Whatever you have heard up until now, there may be some truth into it, but what I have just told you is certified. This is what happened. So Peter does that, and he, um, he tells about how the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles in verses 15 and 16. He says, I began to speak. The Holy Spirit came down on them just as it had on us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I love that that's in there because it reminds me that this movement, that what God is doing is so much bigger than Peter. Were it not for the Spirit of God going before Peter, Peter doesn't have any authority or power in himself. He has authority and power in the word of God and in the spirit of God that rests upon him to work mighty wonders among the people. All right, the movement is so much bigger than Peter. And this movement is so much bigger even than the Jewish people. Every person is in need of the message of the Messiah, whether they are the most righteous Jew or they are the most God-fearing Gentile. As the scriptures say, all have sinned and they come short of the glory of God. If you go back just a, a chapter and you look at chapter 10, look with me at, at who Cornelius was. The text tells us uh, there's a man in Caesarea named Cornelius. This is verse one of chapter 10 of the book of Acts. And a centurion, in what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man, and he feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people, and he always prayed to God. Now, if you were to look at that just with plain eyes, you'd be like, man, that's a, that's a godly person. That's someone, wow, you know, he's got all the right outside stuff. He's got all the right patterns and processes of life, and yet God goes to him. He says, I want you to send for Peter because he is going to speak a message that you need to hear. Because while this man was a God-fearer, while he was devout, um, while he strove to honor the Lord, he did not know the story and the message of Jesus and what Jesus had done to pay for his sins by dying on the cross and to give him new life by rising again and finding life in Jesus. And so one commentator writes it this way. He says, yet even for those described as devout and God-fearing, turning to Christ involved a radical reorientation of allegiance and devotion. A radical reorientation of allegiance and devotion. You can have all the good stuff. You can go to church day after day. You can read your Bible and still not understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and have a radical a reorientation of your allegiance and your devotion and your heart. 
And that's what God does in Caesarea. And so we come down, and Peter concludes this for us by recognizing that if God had graciously poured out his spirit on the Jewish believers, he doesn't say it, but on the Samaritans as well, why should he, Peter, hinder what God wants to do? Why should he hinder what God wants to do? You notice that in verse um, 17. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift that he also gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, how could, we po- how could I possibly hinder God? The word hinder there is an interesting word. It comes, or it's used in Matthew 19 when children come to Jesus and the disciples say, hang on just a second. And he says, no, 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 no. Let them come to me. Don't hinder them from coming to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those such as these. And it's interesting. You think about hindering. And um, there's a lot of ways that you and I can hinder what God wants to do. Peter wants to absolutely get out of God's way. Not that he's more powerful than God, but, but he doesn't want to stand in the way of someone coming to faith. We can hinder God's work. We can create barriers that God never tended for people to come to know Jesus. Think of that for just a moment. What are some of the ways we hinder God's work in people's lives? An example, and this is not an an exhaustive list, is there can be unrealistic or unscriptural expectations that we place on others before they come to know Jesus. We, we might say to them, you have to attain this and this and this. You have to get rid of this and you have to do this and you have to do this before you can come and be broken before God. We sometimes write people off because of their status or their standing in life, how they grew up, whether they are male or female, what their life was like if they lived in a different country. We can write people off by saying, ah, you know, as long as you come to this, kind of like the, the, uh, the Jewish believers did in earlier in the chapter, we can say, unless you do this and this and this, you're not ready yet. Um, we can even have a hatred or an indifference to people who are far from God. And that hinders what God wants to do in their life. There are many ways in which we can hinder God's work. But I want to share this quote with you. Uh, this comes from David Peterson. He says, in practical terms, this narrative challenges Christians to be wary of allowing any cultural, social, or inherited religious barriers to hinder the acceptance of new converts into the church. At the same time, is an encouragement to recognize when a work of God's Spirit is taking place, perhaps in unexpected ways, in unexpected quarters, and a warning not to be found opposing that work. Right, recognizing when a work of God's spirit is taking place is something that takes pause and it takes prayerfulness to say, God, what are you doing here? God, how can I join you in your work here? So Peter does not want to be a hindrance because he wants the Gentiles to experience the work of God and the work of God is described as this. Look, at, look with me in verse 18. When they heard this, they became silent. Then they glorified God, saying, so God has granted repentance resulting in life, even to the Gentiles. And it's repentance resulting in life that I want to spend a few minutes talking about. What does it mean to have repentance resulting in life? 
First, repentance resulting in life is a work of God that results in worship. When you see God working and in, in all of the only way that God can work with great power and with great wonder, and when you see that, your heart and my heart should be ones that turn toward, thank you, God, for going before us. If you've had a loved one come to know Christ, if you've had a friend come to know Christ, or you've seen someone take steps in their faith, you look at that and you say, bless the Lord. Thank you, God, for going before them and giving them repentance that results in life. Repentance and life are works that God must initiate. Right? They're, they're works that God must initiate. You and I, we have a response to God's initiative. But without Christ initiating relationship with us, we would be lost and we would be hopeless. When repentance becomes primarily about my ability, and, and I, the word for repentance, we'll talk about it here again in a minute, it means to literally turn around. When it becomes about my ability and not God's power coming to me and me responding to God, I rob God of his power to, um, power and desire to change me by the working of his spirit. Because God's grace is available and necessary for all of us to have relationship with Christ, regardless of our background. I love, I love the statement Dr. Dwight Pryor once said. He said, salvation is God's redemptive initiative. And that helps me just frame what part of this is God's and what's my response. And we're going to look at some verses here that will help us key in on our response. But the initiative of salvation is always God's. And the response is always, all right, based upon what I have heard, how then, God, do you want me to walk? How then do you want me to follow you? When we experience life in Christ, the result of this is that we have to share with others. Whether we share by word, whether we share by deed, sharing must take place. Now, word sharing is incredibly important because as the scripture says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But one of the most common ways that we share our faith is by someone looking at us and saying, how is he acting? Is it consistent with what he has said? Do his words reflect Christ in him, or is that not really the reality? The way that we present ourselves, the way that we allow Christ to live in and through us often has an incredible effect on how we share with others the good news of the Messiah. I want to talk for a moment to, about what does it mean to experience repentance resulting in life. I mentioned repentance just a minute ago. It's the Greek word, if you'd throw this up for me, David, thank you. It's the Greek word metanoia. Say that with me. Metanoia. Yeah, it's a fun word. And it means turning about or conversion. It's a radical reorientation of loyalty and devotion. All right, so that's repentance. We've kind of talked about that a little bit already. The word life the word life is zoe. You say zoe? All right. If you have a friend named Zoe, her name means life. All right. And it's life or the condition of living or the state of being alive. Okay. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about life here. There, there's another slide I want to show you. Next one, David. The New Testament view is that life involves an expressed absolute dependence of man on God. 
all right? The way the New Testament looks at life is that you and I are absolutely dependent upon God. Were it not for God giving us life and breath and spiritual life and breath, we would not have life. It's absolute dependence on God and the transcendence of God's existence. Transcendence is merely a word that means the existence or the experience beyond the normal or physical level, all right? Big word for you there. Sorry about that. Um, and I want to take a look at, there, there's 135 times that the word life, zoe, is used in the New Testament. We won't look at them all this morning. We'll just take a little sampling. Um, but 132 of these times, they're used in very much the same way. Slightly different context, but very much the same way. The first one is John chapter 1. Some of these will be on the screen, some of these won't. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. And apart from Him, nothing was made that was made. And it says, And in Him was life. All right? When we get to life, I'll point to you, and you can say the word life. Okay? This will be interaction. And in Him was Life. Zoe. Ah, I love it. Someone said the Greek word. Great. And that life was the light of men. All right. John chapter 5. Here's another one. This one I believe is on your screen. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Zoe. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Zoe. Yes. Very good. Next one. Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the zoe. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right? For uh, Galatians 2. For through the law, I have died to the law so that I might live for Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I forgot to point to you. The life <laughs> that I now live in the body, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In Colossians chapter 3, I'll remember to point at you this time. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. One of the big things I want you to see in these verses is that life apart from Christ is not life at all. You can be living and breathing in the physical sense here today, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have life. And this was the truth that Peter shared with Cornelius. The message that he shared was what Jesus had done for him in his work on the cross and him being raised to life, Cornelius needed to hear that message. And when he heard that message, the text says he was saved and he was baptized. He wasn't saved just because he heard, but the inference in the text is that when he heard, he believed. And God granted him repentance resulting in life. 
I want to kind of zoom out. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. I, I want to kind of zoom out this passage a little bit for you. Because the word life, we could say life in Christ. And okay, what does that mean? Let's look a little bit at what that means. And Colossians chapter 3 helps us greatly with this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, So if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with the Messiah and God. When the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. The first thing I want you to notice about life is life begins with Christ. But then Paul says to this group, and the Colossian church was part Jewish and part Gentile, all right? You can imagine maybe some of the same conversation is going on that we see in Acts. He says, if you've been raised, in other words, if you're a follower of the Messiah, seek what is above, all right? Not on what is down here, seek what is up here. And then he says, recognize that you have died. Verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah and God. And so when you follow Jesus, you recognize that your life is, yes, in, in a part physical here, but even more so, your life is spiritual because God now lives in you and gives you breath and gives you purpose and gives you direction for how then you should live. And um, then he has some very pointed words. He says in verse 5, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. All right? He says, put to death all these things that are far from life in me. And he names them. And he keeps going on and keeps naming more. He says, um, because of these, God's wrath has come on the disobedient. Verse 7, And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must also put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Whew, that's not even a comprehensive list. That's a, that's a, a very good list, though, right? All these things, he says, put them away, lay them down, get them away from your daily practice, okay? You want to experience life? Put these things down, and he says, don't lie to one another in verse 9, since you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self. Verse uh, 10 continues, you are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. All right, so put to death, put away, and put on the new self. What is the new self? The new self is Christ's life in you. It's saying, God, I want to put away all these things that are sin and all these things from which I repent. But God, in order to find life, I need to find life in you. And so God, live through me by the working of your son, Jesus. And he says, you're being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. The phrase being renewed is a passive. In other words, you don't necessarily renew yourself. You can do certain things like putting away sin that help work towards renewal, 
But when we are being renewed, it means God is the one who is renewing our minds. All right? It's, it's God's work to renew and to sanctify our lives as we submit them to him. And I, I love the phrase, according to the image of your creator. There's a song that our kids have sung before here, and there's a, there's a line in it, and it says, two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Coming before God is recognizing your unworthiness and yet recognizing that God has made you with incredible worth and purpose and intention in your life. Both are needed as we come to the, to, as we come to the cross. These uh, verses uh, in, in Colossians 12 through 17 go on to describe practical, tangible results of having a life empowered by Christ. And when we don't see these fruits, ask God to show you where you are striving by your own power and not his. Let's read them. Uh, verse 12. Therefore, God's chosen ones. Oh, what a great, great phrase. Holy and loved. Your identity. Holy, loved, chosen ones. Put on. He has just said put off, put to death, all this kind of stuff. And he says, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful." If we would just take this week and meditate upon those qualities and say, God, where are these qualities in my life? God, where do you want to grow these qualities in my life? I'm convinced our lives would look very different. I'm convinced our lives would look very different because this is difficult stuff. You and I, we can't live this out of our own strength. We have to have God's strength to live this out. Heartful compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Accepting and forgiving one another as God has forgiven us. He says in verse 15, let the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body control your hearts, be thankful. 16, let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's an incredible challenge for us. That's an incredible challenge because if we look at our lives, if I look at my life, my life does not always resemble that. There's a lot of times I would rather pick up anger or malice or an ill word instead of seeking, how can I think the best of them? How can I love them with the love of Christ? How can I move beyond uh, my own stuff and have God clothe me or dress me with heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. Parents, it's a great thing to take your kids to. It's a great thing for you to ask your kids, hey, do you see these things in my life? Where in my life don't you see these things? Grandparents, husbands, wives, it's a great thing for you to say, hey, friend, hey, spouse, where do you see these in my life? Where do you see that God wants to grow me? 
Be open to what God would teach you during that time. See, we may look good for a while in our own strength, but eventually, especially to those who are closest to us, they, they see that we have insufficient power to live a godly life that is holy and acceptable to God. We cannot do it in our own strength. We can't do it in the work of our flesh. We have to allow Christ to live through us. What does it look like to live out of God's power in the Messiah? Uh, story. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was in downtown Holland uh, having a meeting for the Good Friday service that we're, that we're joining with, with Calvary and Emmanuel Churches. And I went out to my car after this was done, and I went to go start my car, and I'm parked right on 8th Street, kind of like right in front of Kilwins. Uh, just, the, you know, a great smelling area, not the place you necessarily want to be if you want to stay away from sugar. But I'm parked there, turn, get in my car, turn on the car, someone waiting for me, and my car doesn't go. I'm like, oh no, what happened? The lights were on in the cabin, uh, but every time I'd crank the key, it wouldn't start. So I, I called my wife. I had like 10% left on my battery. I called my wife. She came down, charged my phone, was trying to figure out a couple of things about towing and what to do next. So before I, I called the tow truck and figured out what, what the next steps were, I'm not a car, car guy, by the way. Um, I, I said, let me go try it one more time. I went, and I turned it over, and it started. And I was like, yes, I'm not stuck on 8th Street for however long. And so we, we got the car back home, left it running, went inside, charged my phone, was doing some reading, some researching. Is it the starter? Is it the alternator? W what could this be? Is it the battery? So I, I took it down to the local auto parts store. The guy there was incredibly helpful. He put the testers on it, and, and through that, he said, you know, your, your um, alternator is good, your starter is good, and I'm going, oh no, what else is it? And he goes, your battery looks good, and I'm like, oh no, but it doesn't start sometimes. So, in the course of doing all this, he says, he, he's looking at my battery. He's going, how old is your battery? And I said, I don't remember the last time that I changed it. He's like, I'm seeing some corrosion. And there's corrosion on the terminals. There's corrosion on the, uh, the cables and stuff that go to it. You car guys, you've already gotten there way ahead of me, I'm sure. And so he's like, you know what I would do? Let, let's clean it. Let's see if it, if it runs. And so he cleaned it. And it was still kind of, sometimes it starts, sometimes it wouldn't. He goes, I think you should try a new battery. Before you take it to a car guy, Try a new battery and, and f see if that helps you. So uh, I did a little uh, cost comparison, found the battery I wanted, ended up swapping out the entire battery that day. Uh, you know what didn't happen after that? At least to me it didn't. Um, my, my car started. It, 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 it didn't fail start again. It's still going, and the great irony of God is I'll probably go out today and my car won't start or something like that. Um, but, but we changed out the battery because it was old, the terminals were corroded, I could have chosen to have intermittent success and be like, oh, is my car going to start today? Oh, no, it's not. And I had to speak the next morning at, at a Christian school in the area, and I was like, I cannot be late for that, and I was already a couple minutes late for that, but uh, I could have chosen to live on that battery and be like, all right, let's get this battery there. Let's do the best we can and have that occasional success. Or I could retire my old battery and to trust the new one for what I needed. Many of us seek to live our lives by hooking up to our old battery. 
A lot of us want to live um, lives of holiness out of our own strength and out of our own provision when Christ says, I am here and I am sufficient for all your electrical needs. <laughs> little battery humor there. Cornelius could have lived on his own life from before. He, he could have lived as a devout man, as a God-fearer, but he wouldn't have had life. He wouldn't have had Zoe. He would have only had an intermittent starting battery. Sometimes he'd be able to do good work, sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he'd have, he'd have something that looked as though it was good, and sometimes you'd look underneath that, and it really would be a work of flesh instead of a work of spirit. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you have life in the Messiah? Have you changed out your battery? <laughs> have you gone to Christ who is sufficient for your every need? And if you have, bless the Lord. And if you haven't, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. Tell you how God has changed me. If you have placed your faith in Christ, who in your life do you know that has not placed their faith in Jesus? All right? Maybe that's a child. Maybe that's a parent or an aunt or an uncle. Maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker. Who does God sovereignly have in your life who is far from him? I hope a name or a face just popped up to you. If one didn't, part of your prayer today could be, God, bring me into relationship with people who don't know Jesus. That'd be another great prayer. I want to talk just briefly as, as we end. Um, I, I so appreciated um, the bronze sharing their prayer requests with us. Each, each week, uh, as kids fill out sermon notes, invariably, almost every week, there's a group of students in our church who say, would you please pray for this person, this person, this person, and this person, because they're my friends or they're my family, and they are far from Christ. And that is a challenge to me, because these people are all under 16, and they're burdened for someone who is far from God. And one of the things, as I was thinking through this passage and I was thinking through where our church is at, one of the things that, that God was teaching me this week is, church, we need to be more prayerful for each other and we need to be more prayerful for our friends and our neighbors who do not know Jesus. Let me say this, you are not in that alone. Sometimes we think, uh, I don't wanna share that name or I don't want to share that this person is far from God. One of the things that we can do as a body is we can gather around your aunt or your uncle or your brother-in-law or your son or your daughter who is far from God and we can pray. We can pray and we can ask God to bring a clear hearing of the gospel and ask God to bring repentance which results in life. And church, one of the things that I want us to do that I sense God wanting us to do is to be more prayerful for each other. Some of you are involved in an adult Bible connection class or a Sunday school class after that, after this, during the 11 o'clock hour. As you open up, would you just take a few moments and say, hey, I've got this person in my life who is far from God. Could we pray for them? And then would you, as brothers and sisters in the Messiah, would you pray for that person? Um, David, would you put up the, um, the uh, thank you, <laughs> way ahead of me. Um, I love hearing about 
people who are being intentional in sharing the gospel in their life because it's a challenge to me personally. So I asked Pastor Tom this week if he would set up a new email address for us, and it's prayer at fbczealand.org. Um, this is an email address I'd love for you to send any prayer request to. You can certainly send it to our, our pastor ones too, especially if it's, if it's private, but, but prayer at fbczealand.org because we as a staff and we as elders, we want to pray for you, church. And we want to be able to share the burden of people who are far from God with you. And even as we head towards Resurrection Sunday, this is a fantastic season where people are very open to hearing the message of the Messiah. And so um, send us an email, prayer at fbczealand.org. And if you have any other prayer things, please send them there as well, because we would count it a privilege to pray for you. Um, if you're not an email person, or if you just want to take care of it now, kids, you can write that on your, um, or if you don't have email, like kids, if you don't have email, you can write it on your sermon notes. Write down a name of someone who, who is far from God in your life that we can pray for. Um, if, if you want to do this a different way and you're not doing sermon notes because you're not under, you know, 14 or 16, you can fill out a, a guest card in front of you or you can fill out a piece of paper and put it in the joy boxes in the back. We would love to pray for you and the people in your life who are far from God. All right? Let us pray together this morning. Our Father and our King, so many times we doubt in our, own, um, in our own humanity, we doubt your power to be sufficient for us and your power to go before us. And God, I, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here. I, I pray that we as a community would be more prayerful, that we would seek your face and that you would bring into our lives people who are far from you and that we might shoulder to shoulder pray for them to come to a saving relationship in Jesus. God, thank you. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you in your goodness sent Peter from one place to another so that he might share the message. God, would you send us where you want us this week to share the message of Jesus, our Messiah. God, we pray for those who are not here this morning for illness or for travel or for any other means. And we pray, God, that you would go with them in great power, that as they um, go through their week, as we go through our week, that we would seek to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And as Colossians says, whatever we do in word or in deed, that we would do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We bless you in Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Acts chapter 11 finishes, and, and it says that there's great rejoicing, and there's great worship, because when a work of God happens, it's always God's work, but we recognize it, and, and the people in Acts recognized it, and it says that they, that they worshiped God. Partnering with God always results in worshiping God. And you remember the criticism at the beginning of the chapter? When God acts, one writer says, criticism must cease and worship must begin. So I want to invite you to stand with us. And I want to invite you to sing with us. And, and this time is directed at remembering and worshiping God who is above all things. <laughs>